Try to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scores. Corey Perry. Well, you're able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. All right, so Gerard Gallant is the new head coach of the. Okay, that didn't happen. Yes. <laughs> oh. Oh no, oh, we're still <laughs> we're still bought in the Western Conference. Oh, that's not us. That's yeah. that's not our, that's not our show. Uh, well, we're back. Jason's back on the show. Pat's taking the day off to to plan for a long road trip tomorrow. So you you're stuck with us today. And uh, we've got one game to cover, and it went how uh, we thought it would go. Uh, the Ducks taking on arguably the best team in, in the entire NHL, definitely the best team in the Western Conference, uh, defending Stanley Cup champions, the St. Louis Blues. And, all-star uh, hosts. Yeah, all-star hosts. They got everything going on right now. They're center of the hockey universe, and uh, it, it was not not a great game. It really wasn't. Uh, 4-1 final scoreline probably could have been worse. Um, this is one of those games where, you know, we I think in the last show with Pat, we talked about the Dallas game. They lost 3 nothing. But if you look at the underlying stats, it was it looked like the Ducks actually played a pretty good game, which they did. They, they just couldn't score, and they didn't generate enough high-quality chances. This is one of those games uh, against the Blues where everything was bad. There was there was no no yeah. good. Um, there was no you know, the, the Blues caved the Ducks in and shot attempts, uh, the scoring chances, high danger scoring chances. Everything was in was in favor of St. Louis in this game. Uh, the one positive, of course, uh, Maxim Comtois getting on the board uh, to tie the game early, but it, it kind of just went downhill from there. Uh, early early news to start that game. Uh, Silverberg. Not in the IR, but listed as a healthy scratch, just trying to get back from his upper body injury. Uh, Chase DeLeo was called up, but scratched for that game. And then Corbidian Holzer was scratched. So the lines we had going into that one were ones we're getting kind of familiar with now. Uh, Getzlaff, Henrik, and Sprong. Mm-hmm. Comtois, Lindstrom, Raquel, Steele, Jones, Kasha. And then uh, Delore, Shore, and Rowney. And then obviously the defense has been relatively the same for uh, three pairings for, for the last while now. And John Gibson mans the net. How, how did you feel overall about this game, if you had to sum it up in, in a few sentences here? Jeez, oh, to sum it up. I mean, it was it was, it was was the season personified. Uh, it just felt like um, <laughs> like it just, you, you, you saw, I mean, even in the first period, the, there were little stretches here and there where once again, you're like, oh, okay, maybe this, Team's got it together. They're they're kind of throwing some some good chances in there, uh, and then ultimately just started getting outplayed or just plain and simple weren't good enough or were shooting themselves in the foot. So um, I, I noticed you know throughout the the first period and uh, parts of the second, you know they they would enter they would try to enter the zone. It just seems like everyone thinks that they can pass like Getzloff or pass like everybody else and make these nice little passes or these deft little moves, but they always seem to get picked off. They never seem to arrive on the the stick correctly or, or at all. And anytime we try and enter the zone, it's either try and make a little pass that doesn't work or uh, try and make a move to beat a defender doesn't work. 
then it's dump it in, but don't really have any effort to go chase it down and you know get a forecheck going. So it's it's really frustrating to kind of watch that continually happen. It's just it seems like one of those four or five things just happens every time we enter the zone for yeah. the most part. And I, I'd rather them just get in, fired on net. Maybe the goalie, you know, makes a save or makes a mistake. But if he makes a save, then maybe there's a face-off in the offensive zone because right now they just they weren't doing anything against St. Louis in that offensive zone throughout the game. That's kind of you know, that the word frustrating. I think sums up the, this game perfectly. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's just one of those games where you see the gap between a championship team and, and a team in the middle of a rebuild, and that that's it's going to happen. I mean, I mean, I would rather honestly a, a loss like this. And and four one isn't isn't the worst score line, especially against a team as good as St. Louis. But I'd rather a game like this against a team like St. Louis than a team like LA or a team like San Jose, the way they're playing this year, or, or Detroit or you know Ottawa, New Jersey. Like this, this is a team you expect to lose this way too, and, and to not have a great game against. And it, it doesn't hurt as bad because of that. But I think the thing that that's frustrating about it is you look at some of the plays in this game and, and how some of these goals could have prevented could have been prevented and made this game a lot closer. You look at, I think the uh, second goal of the game was a brutal turnover from Comtois, just whiffs on the puck a few times. Uh, and I'm not sure who picked it up for the Blues, <laughs> but it gets fed over to to Bozak, who's got a, an open net in a one-time. And you look at Gibson after that, he's like, what are you guys doing? And before that, the Ducks had about three or four chances to clear the zone before it even got to Comtois. Yeah, yeah and, and it's like it's like the, the pucks in the net, it's it's – What's frustrating is we've seen how they can play when they play good. And then when they play so horrible, their execution is just so bad. You're like, how are you making it this difficult on yourself and everybody? And it's like no one really wants to get the puck or everyone's just bumping into each other. Or they can't quite make that quick decision. And and so everyone just seems to be bottling themselves up. And then it turns out, you know, a turnover eight chances to try and get it out and then yeah like you pointed out gibson i saw a couple times he actually made saves and he's just like all right guys um i'll make more if you want but um i'm I'm over this too and it it feels like every every game that kind of led up to this game was like somebody else venting their frustration one time it was Getzloff one time it was Gibson one time it was Dallas Akins another time it's Josh yeah. Manson talking about it Everybody's and then it's, been coming it doesn't out seem with to change these angry quotes lately uh, <laughs> Bob Murray changed. just had one the, yeah. the other day uh, and, and I guess you know to get to this play because we have to get to it uh, <laughs> that you said this game sums up the duck season I think this play sums up the duck season uh, fourth goal of the game for the Blues by Ivan Barbashev uh, a simple dump in behind the net. Gibson takes his position close to the net, grabs the puck. Lindholm's supposed to go to the outside close to the boards to retrieve any puck or at least not get in John Gibson's way. For some reason, Lindholm decides to come on the inside as well, runs right into John Gibson. Gibby just, I think, is dumbfounded that it even happened <laughs> because he's looking, He like he has enough time to kind of recover. But at that point, he's like, what the hell did you just do? Like, why Why are you coming on the inside? Like, this is a simple routine play. And, of course, Barbashev picks up the puck and, and just kind of shovels it back in into an empty net. Um, easy nominee for worst play of the season for the Ducks. And uh, embarrassing all around. And, and John Gibson at this point is like, how many more ways can you embarrass me? Yeah. Yeah, and I'll give just 
a small bit of leeway on Lindholm, I guess, on this one, because in my opinion, where Gibson was and where he was holding the puck, he's holding it in front of him and then real quick, like just drops it behind him like a drop pass for Lindholm to go around. But the whole time before Lindholm even gets there, he's got it in front of him. And sometimes a goalie will just kind of like push it to the side, let him cut in front. You're supposed to obviously put it behind you so you can get to the, the net a little bit quicker. But he was kind of in a weird, not not all the way right up against the net, not all the way back there. He was kind of stuck a little bit in the middle, so I could see maybe some miscommunication. Uh, but there's just, I mean, someone's got to read what's going on, and that's just, yeah. all right, well, I'm here, I come, and oh, no, he's here. And it's just, it's not, there's no... There's no mental awareness of, hey, we're in the game. This is what's going on. I got to pick things up. Let me read what's happening. Do that. It's just it's, almost going through a Guys motions. are checked out, right? Yeah. Like it, it it's feels like, the motions. Especially at, at that point in the game, it's late in the third. It's 3-1 for a team that is clearly outclassed you. Uh, we've seen the Ducks do this in multiple games this year where they kind of check out on, on plays, and that leads to turnovers and giveaways. And and uh, ridiculous plays like this on occasion. So, you know, we're not going to stick too long on this game. Uh, obviously, Ducks end up losing 4-1. Uh, they have Nashville coming up tomorrow and uh, Carolina on the day after. And then they go on their week or five-day break or whatever it is. So a tough uh, tough way to kind of close this out. Nashville looking to turn things around. New head coach. Uh, they're trying to get back on track and make the playoffs. And obviously, Carolina is literally one elite goaltender away from being one of the best teams in the national hockey league. And they're playing some good hockey right now too. So uh, how do you feel about these next two games coming up heading into the break? You think the ducks can steal one? Obviously Miller's going to get uh, one of the games coming up here too. Yeah, but it doesn't even matter almost at this point. I mean, you could always go like, well, Miller's really solid. He's in there, but he's not having a, you know, particularly hot season either, just like Gibson. And I don't know if it's just too much of being being run down, the the mistakes, everything. I, I have a hard time seeing them really kind of get out of this funk unless one of those teams, and I'm going to go with the first one, Nashville, might just take them a little lightly. Um, that's yeah. maybe my hope at this point. Or if somehow they, they're able to victimize um, Carolina's uh, you know lack of elite goaltending. Uh, at this point, I mean, it, they got they got two slivers, but they don't have a whole lot of room for mistakes. But every now and again, Ducks seem to all of a sudden just explode with, oh, yeah, this is how we need to play. But um, I'm, I'm not betting too much on that. I, I think they, they end uh, this little road trip uh, bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, Carolina just on the on the back of, of a, you know, a back-to-back, second game of a back-to-back is kind of a recipe for disaster the way – they just kind of suffocate teams already with possession. It is going to be the second of a back-to-back for Carolina as well because they play uh, Columbus tomorrow night. So mutual exhaustion from both teams. But uh, it, it's never you know when you get a team like Carolina, the way they play, uh, they're one of the some of the worst teams to play on that second half of the back-to-back because you're not going to have the puck much. You're going to be chasing the game for the early half of it, and that's going to that's gonna weigh on the legs later on in the third period as much as, as playing on a back-to-back already does. So I, I kind of agree with you there. I think Nashville uh, tomorrow is if you're going to pick up points, that's the game. This game you got to go in and pick up points and at least grab one or two and, and, and have some momentum 
going into that second game uh, against Carolina. Because they're both on the road. Like this, this is is a tough back to back to begin with. There. But yeah. yeah, then going from Nashville, then going, you know, Nashville's a tough building to play in always, and Carolina has become a tough building to play in over the last couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see how they do this. But for for good news, at least for the Ducks, kind of today they obviously practiced. Uh, Derek Grant was on the ice. Nick Ritchie was on the ice. Jakob Silverberg again on the ice, nearing a return. Maybe not for these two games, but signs are pointing that they should be back soon, which is good for the Ducks. I mean, mm-hmm. Lindstrom has been up for, for at least the last four or five games now because of injury, and not that he's looked bad, but you, you would like to get some of these guys back in the lineup and, and kind of aid his development a bit and send him back down to San Diego. And obviously, yeah. the way Silverberg's been playing, uh, it would be nice to get him back in, and even Nick Ritchie, too. I mean, just to see Nick Ritchie back in, and, and he was playing pretty decent before going down with injuries. So it's going to be nice to have some of these guys back. Yeah, especially we can get some regulars, a little bit more of that experience and not have to bring in so many young players that are going to tend to make mistakes. And especially, you know, when a team that's struggling, that's kind of not, you know, a good recipe for bringing in young players to get them, you know, hey, we're struggling. You you come in here and continue to struggle with us. I mean, that's not a good psyche. It's almost like, hey, go down there and look at Troy Terry. I mean, he's he's kind of coming back, but he's doing a conditioning stint down in San Diego, and he's lighting it up and looks like he's having fun. So it's kind of like you almost kind of want some yeah. of those younger players to not have that on their shoulders, that they have to watch this or be a part of that. Because I don't want to say it's, it's Edmonton-like because Edmonton was bad for so long, but then it's like they had good talent. It was just they were introduced early on to a way and I'm just hoping that it doesn't, you know, fester and then just kind of build on itself where everyone's like, Oh no, it sucks, but it's the norm. Yeah. Uh, it'll be nice to, to hopefully see these guys come back and, and obviously, mm-hmm. um, they need, Troy Terry. They definitely need silver. Yeah. Okay. And if Troy Terry can keep playing well down there, we, we talked about on multiple shows so far, him getting that confidence back uh, in the AHL like he did last year would be, would be nice to see him hopefully come up and, and replicate that here. Uh, speaking of Richie, Brett Richie on waivers oh. from the Boston Bruins, sent, sending him down to the AHL. Would you do it? Would you pick up Nick's brother, Brett? That's how far down the ladder he's gone. Is now we refer to him as Nick's brother, uh, Brett Richie. Uh, again, Richie. Fourth liner, uh, grinder type guy, more of a grinder in, than than Nick Ritchie is, if you if you can believe that. Uh, for for obvious reasons, he's on waivers. Uh, play hasn't been that great this year, but just for the reason of of having the Ritchie brothers and and maybe like the Hanson brothers, do you uh, do you bring Brett Ritchie over if you're Bob Murray? God know why. Um, I mean, is he is he really going to add anything of value, or is he just going <laughs> to take really up a spot? Going to hurt this team, though. <laughs> well, I mean, if you have to put him on the fourth line, and then, uh, I mean, with uh, well, Grant's nearing a return, so if Grant's back, then you know you got your fourth line. So what are you going to do? Put him in the third line? You how, start how about this? Away? Brett Ritchie or Nick Delorier? <sighs> Delorier, hands down. Yeah. Hands down. <laughs> I, I, I think the, the sad thing is there's an argument for that, right? Like we ripped on Nick Delorier signing to begin with, but there is an argument there. And, he's, and that's he's not done a great well thing on that fourth line. He served his role. He leads the league in fighting majors, gives us some sort of tenacity. And especially with, you know, a, a Richie out or, you know, sorry, a Nick Richie out, um, you know, you don't want Getzloff fighting. Other than that, we don't really have anyone else's 
you know, fighting anybody. So, I mean, maybe Josh Manson here or there, Holzer if he wants to, but I mean, as far as the forward goes and, you know, I, I love the way Delorier's played. I mean, if he scores goals, that's, that's a bonus, but I mean, he's, he's got energies. I don't think he's a big detriment to the team. So I wouldn't want to see him move. So at that point, Brett Rich really doesn't have a spot unless he's kicking out somebody with more offensive talent. And why are you doing that other than, I, 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 I don't know why. What, uh, <laughs> I really would like to know what kind of deal the Richies made uh, with the devil to get drafted where they got drafted. <laughs> Nick Richie got drafted 10th overall, and uh, Brett Richie went in the second round to the Dallas Stars in 2011. Uh, and, and both these both these guys are, are guys even in junior. Like, they didn't have – they didn't light it up. They, like, now to get drafted in the second round, you have to be you know, one of the top scorers in your league usually, or at least, a, you know, a, over a point-per-game producer. It's crazy how much it's changed, right? You're back you, – we're going back in the era. It's, not, it's, it's like six, seven, eight years ago where these yeah. guys who played hard were big guys, could fight, could do it all. They were coveted. They were second round in a tenth yeah. overall pick where, where, where these guys went. It was, yeah, because I mean, I remember, I remember actually watching that draft when uh, the Ducks got Nick Ritchie, and they said it, he fits the Duck style. He's a big power forward uh, that has good hands. He can, he can, you know. I mean, they were like hoping eventually he'd get in there and he'd be there with uh, Perry and Ritchie and uh, Getzloff, yeah. and that would be just the a big dominant thing was power he line. Apparently, but, had that NHL ready shot, right? But it never, it never yeah. materialized. It never happened. It never did. And, you know, it took him, you know, a season or two. And literally in that season or two, the NHL pretty much started to change a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, once, you know, Jesus dropped down uh, from heaven, then the whole landscape just completely changed from that point on. And those guys got drafted high at that NHL. And now they're they're somewhat obsolete. They've got to change their game to get better. But you're seeing the struggle, you know, on both ends of that. So, you gotta be fast and and uh, you know have that elite shot, like you said. You gotta be, you gotta score. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. they're not that interested anymore. Uh, fire bites in our chat said Nick Ritchie. Uh, Nick Ritchie got to the tenth overall from the Devil, but gave up his ability to look over the age of fourteen. A <laughs> <laughs> baby face. And it's, the, it's I, and the thing, it was, it was, it was kind of chubby. So it was like a chubby baby face, and then he kind of lost weight, but it still stayed like a baby face. It, it was just stayed, like, oh, yeah. the oh, face that, stayed. That, that baby's a little thinner <laughs> than the other one. <laughs> like Cam Fowler has a baby face too, but like Nick Ritchie's got like that chubby baby stage face that just never goes away. Like he could get down to one eighty, and he'd probably <laughs> still have it. <laughs> it's gonna sound bad, but he's also got that look of a baby. He's like, huh? Yeah. Huh? Like every, like, like his eyes just are glossy. And who just are we to like, trip a guy who's getting paid millions of dollars to play in the NHL? I know. <laughs> Either way, maybe we see a Richie, Richie Grant, Richie line. Maybe. Who knows? Probably not. But let's let's no, move no, on no, to, no, of no, course, Richie Rich line. Would you call that the Richie yeah. Rich line? <laughs> yeah. Line. We need a guy named Lionel. <laughs> Yeah. All right, <laughs> let's, that 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 didn't go well. Let's uh, let's move on to, of course, more trade rumors because we're moving in on the February trade deadline, which is still over a month away. But hey, when you're a team like this, uh, we start talking about trade rumors early, and uh, not so much the name of the player getting put into trade rumors, but I guess Ducks fans inserting the name. Uh, into trade rumors, but the Leafs lost Morgan Riley for two months. Jake Muzzin is still out. 
Their deep pairings in their last game were Travis Dermott, Justin Hall, Rasmus Sandin, Tyson Berry, uh, Marinson, and Cody Ceci. So if you thought the Ducks' defense was bad this year, uh, that that's not great. And this is a team who's supposed to be competitive. So, of course, and, and I'm even looking at the comments on this Alrighty, the first comment that comes up is is John Arlotti, who I know follows us on Twitter. He says Josh Manson has entered the chat, and uh, there's a few of those uh, those comments in there, and his name kind of got inserted there. Did you see a one a fit there for Josh Manson, uh, even with Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin coming back? And two, do you think that that would be a move that Bob Murray would explore? Uh, this year, considering that Toronto doesn't have a first-round pick, and you'd most likely get it a player like Casper Kapanen in return. Besides, besides a right-handed shot, which Josh Manson is, uh, and a offensive threat right-handed shot, the other thing that Ducks do not have in a defenseman is a nasty defenseman and a nasty defenseman in front of the net. That being said, with John. You know, if Josh Manson went, we lose a right-handed shot defenseman. We lose some tenacity back on the D-line. That's no way we're going to really compete to block things out because Lindholm's not going to be that guy. Fowler's not going to be that guy. Brunson might, but at $4 million and only signed through next year, I don't really see that being all that awesome. Um, I would. That being said, I'm not been happy with the way Josh Manson has played this season. Um, I We cannot seem to get back what we had when it was Lindholm and Manson working like a, a perfect top pairing. Um, so at this point, I'm very open to exploring having him moved out, but you know, we obviously weren't going to get anybody who's going to be top level or really kind of probably break on this team right now. So we're going to lose a top one of our top four defensemen. And I don't see anybody else coming in that's going to have that tenacity that we're going to lack on the D side um, in front of our net. So it's going to be a little rough, in my opinion, to to lose him. But I don't care <laughs> if we lose him. I you guess. know what? I've I've softened on that stance. I'm still in the trade Jakob Silverberg mindset because I think that makes sense. But I've sat back and I've looked at the situation with Josh Manson and 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 kind of I get like I said softened my stance or almost changed my mind a little bit. And you know I, I think there is a need always for a right shot defenseman. You're selling a bit low on Josh Manson this year as well. Um, you know, if in terms of Toronto, I think if you're getting a player like Casper Kapanen back, I, I don't think I would do that. I think the Ducks have players like Casper Kapanen or players who will turn out like Casper Kapanen and Troy Terry and Sam Steele and, and you know, Ma- Max Jones of, of guys who will be good middle six players, but not, you know, elite players. I, and I don't think Casper Kapanen would, is going to be an elite top six player. And, and plus, like down the road, Yes, the Ducks will draft some right shot defensemen, or you could find some in free agency when you start being competitive again. But mm-hmm. they don't have anybody else. It, it's Eric Goodbranson, it's Kerbinian Holzer, it's Yanni Hackenpah, it's Chris Weidman. Like those are the guys you have, and you need one. And and you think down the road, the what the style that Josh Manson plays, even you know 30, 31, 32 year old Josh Manson, I think can still be an effective player if he's paired with the right guy. And honestly, I think he's the type of guy you need on the blue line 
when you are competitive again, even at that age. And, and, you know, if you don't think he is, then definitely there's merit to trade him. But I think if you bring in, let's say the Ducks draft a guy like Jamie Drysdale and you, in the future, you've got Fowler, Lindholm, Drysdale and, and Manson, I think that is still decent enough where you can, can, you can be competitive like that. And if you trade a guy like Josh Manson, the Ducks don't have anybody coming up to replace him. And then you start looking, you know, to fill a need like that later down the road in a trade or through the draft or through free agency. And maybe you don't get a guy that could do the job like Josh Manson does. Yeah. The the next player the ducks have that matches something of what Josh Manson does. And that's a right-handed shot and some physicality is Holzer. I don't think anyone really wants Holzer to be, a number three, four, two defenseman on our team. But he'd be thrust into that role, being a right-handed shot, a little bit you know, more nasty, or the Ducks are going to go real soft in their top four and go much more offensive. And at this point, uh, our defense is probably, you know, besides, besides a dead offense, the, the defense is also just horrible. And so I can't expect the Ducks to promote him from within and it's really hard to go out and get a right-handed shot defenseman and one that's going to add a little bit of grit. I mean, it's coveted at this point. Um, so it's, it's tough. I use the word grit, but I don't mean it that way, but I mean, just somebody who's, who's no, going to really kind of push, push out in front of the net and really kind of defend that area. And, and you lose, you lose Manson. We, we don't have anybody that can log it, big minutes and do that. In, in a good team, I think, we or I, even we kind of know we've seen it. Josh Manson is a different player. Um, mm-hmm. The moment you know adversity strikes and and he has to do a little bit more than he probably should so be doing. Overreaching. It, it's a little bit overwhelming for him. I, I think he is still a great player and and he's a similar to Jakob Silverberg. He's a very good piece for a competitive team. But it just the price the, has, it just doesn't look overpaid. that great right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for us they've. From a Ducks perspective, we'd have to really get overpaid for it, and his value is not there for it, so I just can't see it really happening. Yeah. Um, again, more trade rumors. Me and Pat talked about this on the last show, and I, and the reaction was actually kind of split. And then I, I stupidly took this uh, debate to, to Facebook, <laughs> and uh, it, it turned into a, a lopsided debate in, in the negative side. I uh, posed the question, should the Ducks trade Jacob Silverberg at the deadline? Uh, overwhelming response was a big fat no on Facebook. Uh, last show we had it, we, like I said, it was kind of split. Uh, how, are you, how are your feelings about this? Because I, I know me and Pat kind of, put our feelings out to out to the world in the last show how, how do you how do you feel and, and where do you stand on, on trading silverberg before the deadline this year uh I, I mean the dude's finally uh he's finally hitting the offensive side of things that i thought he would i think he's grown really well with raquel and i think raquel being on the contract he is he's sticking around for a while why not try you know why not let that bloom or at least progress into whatever it's going to move into um, although I, I, you know, I understand the idea of, well, he's got our highest value to trade and get prospects at some point, every time the you keep getting new prospects, you keep kind of setting yourself back a little bit in the whole rebuild process. And then if someone jumps up, if we're not quite there, you go like, well, let's, let's send that guy and we'll get more prospects or more draft picks or so. At some point, you're going to have to have some of those veteran players. It's, it's not like 
what it was where you needed five guys over the age of 30. You have 10 or so, you know, in the, the mid-20s to, to late-20s, and then some kids in the young 20s, maybe a teenager in there. Now it is much younger, but you're still going to need mid-20s, late-20s, and maybe a sprinkling of early 30 guys in there. So Silverberg still has years to help. But when he when the team starts to move in that direction and some of these other players and the younger ones like Terry and hopefully Jones and Steele start getting into their prime, he's still valuable and still going to be a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit older, but still being able to produce. I feel I've always liked Silverberg. I always think he's he's been stifled in having to play more of a defensive style and now he's been given the reins to just be more offensive and he's shown that he can do it and I think he can still do it for seasons on end so I think having him at you know as one of those elder statesmen as the younger guys come into their own and maybe some youngers that's the right concoction for a team that might work and I'm not so focused about how how bad this season is and go well let's get rid of you know the 26 or 27 year old Silverberg and just go way way young because now well, who else is there? There's, there's Getzloff. He's aging. There's Raquel. There's Henrik. There's Henrik. You know, I mean, but so, you know, those guys aren't going to produce the goals other than maybe Raquel of what uh, Silverberg's going to do. I mean, those guys are probably going to decline at some point. Yeah, I can buy into that. I think Jacob Silverberg is a very important piece for a competitive team. We've seen it. I mean, they, you know, with him and Kessler and and Cogdano when. The Ducks were using him more on the, on the defensive side. They were extremely valuable, and he was a huge piece of that line and, and the ability for the Ducks to, to do as well as they did. And now, obviously, given them the more offensive freedom this year, we, we've seen him flourish, and, and the goals and the points have come. But, uh, you know, there's a, a flip side to that, and, and Silverberg is 29, and you have to think... Yeah. You, you, yeah, he's a bit older than you, you think, right? Yeah, like I he's, thought it was twenty seven or so. He'll be thirty uh, by the beginning of next season. He's his birthday is on October thirteenth, so we're getting to that point where we're right on that tipping tipping point on on whether it's worth keeping him, and and it all depends on your viewpoint of when the Ducks are going to be competitive again, right? If you think they'll be competitive in two to three years, and and you think a thirty two, thirty three year old Silverberg is still going to be playing at a high enough level that the Ducks are going to be able to benefit from what he can bring to the table, then there definitely is merit to keep him around. Uh, I'm just on, and and you know this, and this doesn't come as a shock to you, I'm just kind of (laughs) at that point where I think, you know, he's a player that you trade while the value is as high as as it is, you know, named to the All-Star game for the first time, on pace for 30 goals for around 55 points this year. Like, that is a valuable player. And then you look at the defensive side of what he brings to this game, and there's some teams out there right now with injuries that are looking for this exact type of player. You know, Pittsburgh is one I brought up, but there's a bunch of others, Boston and, and teams in the Eastern Conference who who Bob Murray will be more willing to send a player like Jakob Silverberg to. Sending in conference is a bit tough. I, I think, you know, everything's brewing for that right trade to come in that will tip Bob Murray's hand and, and kind of force him to make that trade. Uh, you know, if I if I had to say, if I had the choice. I would trade him, but only if I could get a first-round pick and a prospect. I think he can get that. I think he has the value this year to get that. I don't think the market is saturated with too many good players at the deadline like it was uh, a couple years ago. So I, I think if you can get some sort of package like that, especially in a draft like this year, 
Uh, you you got to do it. I mean, you, you just have to. I'm not saying sell everybody, but I think if you're going to choose somebody in this roster and make sense out of it, he has to be at the top of my list. It's just rough trading your top your top goal getter, your all star, and go it like, is. well, well, we're getting rid of him, and uh, you know, we're getting more things for later on, and then you're it's asking everybody else, hey, market, can, right? yeah, tough sell, not only in the market, but I would say for the team. I mean, that's kind of demoralizing. You take our our most consistent, our best offensive threat so far this season, and trade him because you're really just mortgaging for down the road. So it's like. Well, why am I going to keep playing if really we're just waiting for three or four seasons down the road? Yeah, I mean, and, I mean that, 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 that could be demoralizing for a team, I would think. It definitely is. And I think, you know, a perfect quote, I was going to bring it up later, but I think it fits in now. Uh, Helen Elliott had an article uh, for the Los Angeles Times where Bob Murray has kind of a quote that sums that up a bit in, in his feelings right now. Um, He says, it's getting to the point where I have no choice. We're getting there. I told this group first meeting of the year that they would dictate what I did about this time of year. I reminded a few of them about that a month ago. They're definitely showing me where they want me to go. They're making it loud and clear as far as I'm concerned. I didn't think we had to do a total teardown. I still do not think we do, but I may have to go a little farther with some things than I thought we had to do. If you remember back to last year, Mm. um, these are eerily similar to the to. same. I really try not to. <laughs> These are eerily similar to the comments that he made around the time when he traded Brandon Montour, where he <laughs> talked about, you know, we need a shake up. You know, I don't like how the the early twenties guys, uh, some of them, he didn't name them, but he said, I don't like how you know they're transitioning and their development has gone so far and their commitment or whatever their their leadership uh, something something along those lines. I don't remember the exact quote, but this is this is kind of down that similar path where he thought they were going to be better last year. They weren't, and it led him to to being more drastic than he thought he had to. And here we go again. He says, you know, they're leading me to that point where I'm going to have to do some things I thought I wasn't going to have to do. And I'm guarantee you at the beginning of the season. Uh, Murray had no thought of trading Jakob Silverberg, no thought of trading, you know, maybe a player like Raquel or Josh Manson. But I think he's getting down that road where, yes, he said not a total teardown. So we're not expecting, you know, three or four of these guys to get offloaded. But he's getting pushed to the point where I think we could see a considerable name like a Silverberg or a Raquel or a Cash or a Manson get moved out to kind of. Not like you said, not a total teardown, but to at least move some of these guys out and 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 move, you know, facilitate some change. I, you know, if if any of that change is going to happen, I quite honestly, I would just I would throw Kasha in in as a trade. I mean, he was already looking out to do that earlier, supposedly. Um, but I mean. You know, if he's talking about the really young kids, um, you know, they're they're still on pace for for what, you know, Raquel and Perry did when they started their careers. So it's like yeah. I, I find it hard to sit there and kind of go like, well, we were really relying on you and we put a whole lot in your shoulder. We put a whole bunch of you in there where, you know, we're asking you to do maybe a little bit more than you should. And you're still doing what the superstars or the leaders, you know, are that's a harsh comment for those kids right like that is yeah that is almost directly aimed at them you have to think look at who is doing well this year it's the guys that we expected to step up because they are better players and raquel gets laughed silverberg fowler henrique even to some extent like all these guys are playing better than they were last year the only guys that aren't 
exceeding or, or excelling this year or, and maybe jump taking a step forward are the four kids in Steele, Comtois, Terry, and Jones. And Terry's in the AHL right now. And uh, Andre Kasha. It, it, that's yeah. that's it. it. It's it's very harsh of Bob Murray to go out here and say, you know, I thought they were going to do better, and I expected them to do better. I told them that at the beginning of the year, and here we are. They've disappointed me. Like, <laughs> what what kind of expectations did he have for this? Team? Like, he, and you know, I, I, wonder, said, I wonder, I wonder if he's really directing at the kids because he's also said in the beginning, he's like, I don't want to have to throw them in and make them just figure it out, or at least throw all of them in there. I'm wondering. That? That's what he but did. I'm, yeah, no, I know he ended up having to because of injuries. But the the other thing is, I, I think he's he's looking for, and this is kind of what goes along with all the people who've been frustrated, all the veterans. You know, your Gibson, your uh, Aikens, is uh, they're coming out. It's just like the compete level's not there. That the headspace isn't there, and it's like if you're not showing up and trying to play then, you know, there's a problem there. Even if, you know, every game, just be competitive. You, you get to be in the NHL, uh, that sort of deal. So it's just, you know, I, it's tough because, yeah, if, without naming it who it is, because I even look at, you know, the fourth-line guys, they're, they're competing, they're doing it. I, just, I feel like on the defensive side, that's where people aren't competing. And yeah, I, I, he's yeah. just like when he says they're making it loud and clear in, in terms of – and you had you'd have to think their play. Like – this team is the godlike goaltending from last year, and two, maybe one or or two of those young guys playing, you know, up to maybe the expectations that some people had for them, away from being close to a playoff spot right now. You know, even just the goaltending. If the goaltending was like nine seventeen in save percentage instead of instead of close to below nine. Uh, they would be a better team. They would have more wins. They'd probably have six to eight more points. And, and, you know, it would still be a disappointing season, but they would be closer to a playoff spot than they would be to the bottom of the standings right now. So it's tough. And and I feel bad in some sense for the players, for him to come out here and say, you know, I expected all so much of these guys and they're, they're disappointing me. I mean, yeah, it's a disappointing season, but there's no way you could have expected much more than this. I mean, we even, we were, I was optimistic. I was we very were. optimistic. Well, we 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 all kind of you you got pat over the line to say they were a borderline playoff team. I was in saying they would be in the mix for the wild card. You said that they would be in, in I think two or three in, in the Pacific Division, right? I, so I was up in three. Yeah, I thought they could. Yeah. Second. So we were all kind of optimistic, but we we acknowledged the fact that this could all go south. If if the ifs didn't turn out, if if the kids didn't turn it around and become, you know, take that next step forward, which is a real possibility. And as we've seen, it's come true. And and then if other things didn't happen, I think we had talked about if Raquel doesn't bounce back, if Kasha doesn't have a 20 to 30 goal season, uh, we wouldn't even mention the goaltending falling off the face of the earth. But that was another if and that happened like. There was so many question marks with this team that, you know, yes, they could be a playoff team, but this is a very realistic possibility of how the season could have turned out. So I'm I'm a bit put off on that Bob Murray is astonished that the, this is the way this season has gone and, and that they're, they're, the players are forcing him to, to make moves he didn't think he would have had to make. Like, that's what you get when you throw four or five kids who haven't played, a, you know, have barely played half an NHL season into middle six to top six roles. And you, yeah. you say, hey, Getzlaff, hey, Henrik Silverberg, you're going to carry this team. 
they just can't do that. You know, a 34-year-old Ryan Getzloff, he can't do that. Silverberg and Henrique are great players, but they're not going to do that for you. And, and Ricard Raquel, as much as I love him as a player, he's also not going to do that for you. That's just not enough pieces to kind of drag four or five kids through the mud and into a playoff spot. So I, I don't know what this ends up you know, changing for Bob Murray. I don't know what he's going to do. We, we saw the comments recently. Um, in uh, from Elliot Friedman in 31 Thoughts that he's going to be willing to use cap space to ease other club salary issues so he could use the the, the uh, LTIR space for Eves and Kessler uh, and the cost to other teams as young assets. So maybe that's the direction he's going to. I mean, he never really tips his hand. Uh, that This is kind of the first, yeah, well, I guess, always. time we've ever heard him tip his hand to what he's doing. So it, it is a bit interesting, but like, what what is what's going to come next for Bob? Murray? I mean, he's got a month and a half about until the uh, the trade deadline. Now, obviously, the wheels are going to be turning, and I think I think these next two games are important in, in terms of what he's going to do. Yeah, I would think so. I think it's coming up to one of those uh, benchmark times of the season too. It's like, uh, hey, you know, All Star break is coming up. Uh, we also get a little week break in here, and we're we got the time where we're not waiting for that next game and it's sit down, evaluate, and then make that decision because what, what's, ha- I mean, I don't even think that the next two games are going to matter all that much. Even they won It'll be the first time they went back to back games since November. Um, yeah. But if uh, the beginning of November uh, and even if they did that, I think they're, Bob Murray's mind is kind of up on who he, he may want to move or how he wants to, you know, proceed for the rest of the season. It's it's not going to be good. He's not adding pieces. It's it's taking it away and, you know, building a little bit more for the future. But who who he's directing at is kind of kind of up in the air. Who what yeah. what offers he gets? But but I, I think he's he's going to kind of wait and you know he, he's at least going to wait for an overpayment or you know. Yeah, he, he'll wait know, for the, the the good deal, but I mean, I have to think if they get blown out in both these games, that I mean, Bob Murray's never one to wait until the trade deadline. I believe the Montour deal was made early February with about two or three weeks until the deadline, so he's never a guy to wait too long. So we're getting into that area where if he's going to make a deal, he's going to be looking for it, and obviously he's putting feelers out there with these comments coming public that he's looking to use the cap space to to make deals and. You know, and as I said on the last show, if if he's willing to do that, I'd also have happen to think that gets coupled with him also trying to move some salary out in the same sentence, in the same breath, and in maybe not the same trade, but at you know that I think he's kind of working both angles there. So we'll we'll have to see what he does. And kind of on that topic to round out this trade stuff, um, is anybody untouchable on this team? Like we've mentioned before, and I think the the obvious answer has always been John Gibson. Uh, but as for roster players right now, is anybody untouchable? Is John Gibson untouchable? Is Hampus Lindholm untouchable? Like, wh- what are your thoughts on that? Bob Murray doesn't like to trade defensemen, um, so I would say there's a couple. At Lindholm, I don't know. Lindholm's been been a puzzle uh, to me um, this season and parts of last I season. Just, let's just take Bob Murray's history and his thought process out of the equation like just okay. on pure do you think there's somebody you can't yeah 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 gets off gets untradeable just for his his whole outside of just the play everything he brings to this team the leadership the dude's the only one who can make consistent passes yeah he screws up every now and again but it seems like everyone else wants to try and pass like him or thinks they can't and no one does it like him he can control the play he can control an attitude of a game 
Uh, and he's still putting up points. He doesn't have to necessarily, you know, he can't lead the team all the way like he has been for the last decade or so. But um, he's he's too valuable from a leadership perspective, a points perspective, and uh, quite honestly, a fan perspective. I mean, yeah, Trey, Trey, yeah, Trey, Trey and there's there's a riot. So I think there's like riot, I think yeah. there's there's no no way someone trades Getzloff. And I would think Gibson is under his contract. His contract's uh, way too nice. He's still too good. Um, that adds to the value. Listen, I'm not saying we should trade other him. Teams, just... That screws us over. I mean, no, I get reason, it. Oh, yeah, I mean, the whole reason we got him, mean, we're happy that we got him. We got an elite goalie at that price. You don't get that all yeah. the time. I mean, you hold on to that when you get it. Yeah, he might have a down season, but look at the season before. We was killing it. It was an all-star. And, you know, you can't really blame him for this season. His technique's still fine. Everything else is really fine. It's just that the teams let him down and, you know, maybe a little bit of creeping in of, like, I can't trust this the group in front of me. And at that point, you don't trade the goalie. You trade the group in front of, uh, you know, a, a stellar goalie. Getting, like. getting a goalie is always the hardest thing to do in this league. I, I kind of have that mindset of, of finding a goalie of that level is one of the hardest things to do. Now, and this is always such a hard topic to talk about because you can't bring it up without also people thinking that you want to trade John Gibson by saying he isn't untouchable. It kind of feels like it goes hand in hand with saying that you want to trade him. And, and, and that's not the road I'm trying to go down. I don't think the Ducks should trade John Gibson. I, I think he's young enough and under, uh, you know, like you said, mentioned the contract. He's got such a great contract that by the time the Ducks are ready to be good again, he'll be a valuable piece of this team and arguably maybe even better than he is now. Um, so I don't think you should. But in terms of is he untouchable, I don't think so. I, I think if but Gretzky if, was traded, and yeah, I mean, exactly. literally almost no one is untouchable in certain aspects. Um, but from an Anaheim perspective, I cannot see a scenario unless you are getting a similar goalie and something else. I when, mean, and, like, and I think I think where it stems is an organization. Yeah, and not even that. I, th- I think it starts internally. There is this, if you're the Ducks right now. Analyze what you have, and it all depends what the organization thinks they have in the goaltenders behind them. You know, what do you have, and what do you think you have in Lucas Dostal? I think that's that's where the question starts. Or what do you have in 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 the other guys in lyrics and it definitely is. But that's I think where the conversation starts. And and you say, well, do you think you have a potential starting goaltender in Lucas Dostal? If you say yes, then the return becomes maybe you bring in a goaltender. You don't aim for the high elite level goaltender or an NHL ready goaltender. And you aim for maybe another working project that you can kind of couple with Dostal and at least have another replacement there. And then I think you look for other pieces and they'd have to be elite pieces. And, and I think the only way Bob Murray would do this is if he got a deal that just blew him out of the water where you can't say no. And, and you know, one team again, I, I, again, I got criticism on Twitter for this. I didn't say we should, should trade John Gibson. I said a team that would be interested and that has the assets to do it are the Carolina hurricanes. And if you could even get, you know, uh, Martin, Martin Netchass or, or Jake Bean into that discussion, it's it's worth at least exploring that road. Now, again, I don't think you should. And unless you, uh, and in my personal opinion, unless you're getting Martin Netchass and Jake Bean back, I don't even think you entertain the discussion because the, it's not worth it at that point. I think anybody who is pursuing John Gibson should be prepared and willing to not only give up a first round pick, but either their number one or number two prospect. 
that's where the conversation starts for me. But I, I don't see them doing it. I, I don't see it being impossible at the same at the same time, though. Yeah, I, I just think you know, from a a goalie a goalie perspective, if you know from a Ducks goalie perspective, you can't bank on the fact that these you know younger goalies, as great as they are, you know playing in international competition or overseas, that that's going to necessarily translate. Um, and it's it's tough to get there. And sometimes goalies take like Bennington takes at least twenty five before he actually shows he's capable of it. And a whole lot of things had to go wrong for him to even get that shot to even make it and then become what he is. But that's just such a a diamond in the rough type of deal and so i would be i would think there is more more value or more reward and way less risk if you keep gibson and you can trade ryan miller who's more showing he's more than a capable backup he is a career goalie uh he knows the score he can help any team out he can even take over a starting job under the right circumstances i think it just makes way more sense from a duck's perspective to go hey i'll give you this and give me you know a prospect or you know a high enough draft pick that you know makes worthwhile um yeah, it's not the greatest value compared to a Gibson, but it makes way more sense on the Ducks. And I just can't see them really ever entertaining another thing unless they are getting a goalie that is going to be here and now to help this team. Otherwise, they are, like I said, if Getzloff or Gibson are traded, that's a riot. I mean, no no, no one's putting up with that. I don't care necessarily what they get back unless it's someone that is on, on level with what we're, getting, what we're giving up. Yeah. Or now, just slightly uh, under with a good prospect and draft pick. Exactly. Jo- Joseph Holmes said in our chat, he said, I'm just throwing this out there. No team wins a cup when your goalie is your most talented player. Recently, I would agree. I think the last time that's happened is probably the 2003 Bennington. New Jersey Devils. <laughs> uh, you could argue Bennington maybe because uh, th- there was no stars on that uh that St. Louis yeah, Blues teams, but guys. And then like again, O'Reilly's the one who got the uh, constant. I, I'm, so. I'm thinking, and, and I'd have to go through, but just off the top of my head, the, the last team to probably do that was the 03 Devils. You you know, I, you guys, like, I think it was Eliash and Lang and Bruner and, and Niedemar were on that team. Like, these weren't, and like, those were their top players back. And, and Eliash was a great player, and, and, you know, Gomez was a great player, but. <laughs> Martin Broder was the star of that team. He was the guy. He was the he didn't even win the most talented player. But I, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to. Well, but it I think- depends. It depends. If he's your best player, like overall throughout like the entire season, then the I most can talented see player. Broder. The so most talented player on that O three team. You would. You, it would have hard pressed to say it wasn't. Martin Broder. I mean, the guy. I would. I would bet money that that guy probably started seventy plus games in the regular season. That was Jeff Friesen. Jeff Friesen was the best guy. Jeff Friesen so, was he on that team? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think he's. I think he scored. Yeah, I think he scored uh, at least one goal uh, that uh, in that game seven. So. I mean, they had a great team, but I, I would argue, and and again, I think Joseph is right in the terms of recently, um, in at least the last decade, uh, the the goalie was the most talented player on on their team. Maybe top three or top four, uh, yeah. but like I think Jonathan Quick was a top three or top four player on the Kings, but it wasn't Jonathan Quick who only won them that cup. He wasn't their most talented player per se. I think he won a Conn Smythe, but. He wasn't, you know, Kopitar, I, I would argue, is their most talented player. And the Doughty's right up there as well. Yeah, it, it depends because you can still have good players and then you can have just an elite goalie 
um, yeah. and and make that work. So yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah, it's tough because I mean, it's like, tough. It's, and it comes yeah. down to like your personal opinion on, on most of these two. Like, it, it you know, if you want to use Con Smythe as the like kind of the be all end all, then I think there there was definitely goalies who won Con Smythe over the last decade. I know for sure Jonathan Quick was one of them. I can't remember if Corey Crawford won one as well. Um, but you know, there were, there were definitely guys who keep the tapes. Yeah. There were definitely guys who, who won it. Um, let's move on here though. Cause we're, we're kind of, we're kind of rambling a bit. We're getting on here. Um, (laughs) I guess we can move into not a a, a pure NHL question before we get to the fan question, but one I want to bring up because it's a hot topic. I just want to ask you this question. I don't know if you saw this. I don't follow baseball too much, but it's been big in the news. So the Houston Astros, uh, they ended up being proved that they were cheating in the 2017 World Series by stealing signs. Signs, oh, yeah. So they this. they got a a, uh, a massive punishment laid down where their general manager and their manager, so their coach, were suspended and then fired by the team. Five million dollar fine, and they lost their draft picks for 20. Their first and second round draft picks for 2020 and 2021. Did not have the title stripped away. Uh, if you if that was to happen in the NHL, would you suspect that the team, or would you expect the team to have the trophy stripped away? And, and would you want that to happen? Do you think it merits having the trophy stripped away? That's really a college thing, is what I've noticed. They they it take is. it away and say there's no college there's no and the Olympics on are the two places that happens. I I I can't imagine. I'm trying to think of a way that. that um, NHL teams would cheat. Well, I mean, I guess they could F with the locker room or F with the I don't gear. Know, let's just say they found a way, and and this type of punishment was laid down. Uh, you know, doesn't matter the team, but whatever. After the fact, lives aside, would would you think? You know, even even if you want to answer the question about the Astros, do you think if a team is caught cheating like that and and it's proven that they they aided their way to win a trophy, no one's gonna remember that. I but mean, I guess you could there do should it, be an but asterisk it's, put beside it's symbolic. It. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, it obviously can't be the only thing. Obviously, taking draft picks away, serious fines. I mean, something that hampers the team moving forward uh, because, you know, the team either employed them or the team knew about it, and that was the sort of deal. I think if you're a fan, uh, you can do it. you're not going to somewhat. It's somewhat, some, it, yeah, it's somewhat just a symbolic thing because everyone's going to look back and go, like, oh, yeah, they won it that year. And then no one's really going to remember that they cheated once you get a few years down yeah, the road. Like, let's hate let's that team. make this personal. <laughs> Um, if it came out that the 2007 Ducks were cheating and they stripped the trophy, would you care? I wouldn't care. No. I was. And we still watched it. We all enjoyed it. We all celebrated them winning. That doesn't change if, if cheaters, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it doesn't. It wouldn't change. No, all, all it does is all it does is just give trolls on you know social right. media. So yeah, I mean that's it. So well, other maybe than you that, feel a bit weird about it but it doesn't change everything that happened in in that moment i I think it it more becomes a thing for the history books and and later down the road people who didn't experience it maybe that becomes a thing or or just people on the outside looking in where where that becomes a thing but i i really don't think at least for the fans that experience that were there for that i don't think it matters it doesn't change it i mean it it comes down to like if, if the price of winning a championship is you know forfeiting your draft picks for two years a five million dollar fine to a billion billionaire owner and having your your coach and your gm fired would like would you, would you do that now to have the ducks win the stanley cup this year 
you could argue that it's not that yeah, much oh, of a yeah, yeah, as a fan, yeah, right? So, yeah, it's it's not it's not too tough. <laughs> as a fan, like yeah, if, no, I mean, if, if you had yeah, to, as a fan, you kind of go like, oh, uh, like the ultimate I'm goal is to win. Disappointed Stanley in my right? team, but but if you didn't know, if you didn't know they were cheating, and no, just less side side thing here, if it's to win a championship, it cost you Dallas Aikens, Bob Murray. And your first round and second round picks in this year's draft and next year's draft, and then a five million dollar fine to the Samuelis, which doesn't hurt us. I mean, that, like that's that's not a big price to pay for winning it all, right? Like it, it really isn't because normally those draft picks are to help you win it all, and if you won it all anyway, it's not the end of the world. You probably traded some of those draft picks to get to that point anyway, yeah. so. As a it, fan, you just have to listen to the BS about it. But you listen to BS every way to Sunday anyways, whether it's cheating or not or whatever. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, everyone had to watch your team win it, whether, you know, that cheating comes down the road and it gets revealed. Everyone just still yeah. has to feel it's like It's not like if they, if they stripped that 2017 title from the Astros and give it to the Dodgers, that Dodgers fans are going to start celebrating like they won the, Ooh, World, we Series. Won the World Series. Like, you never were there. It never happened. You never saw it happen the players didn't celebrate you didn't get to experience that whole thing like it would just be a pity party at that point be like yay we won but we didn't really win we just got it given to us and short of it being like cheating on the play that ended you know that you know created the championship you know if it's like oh like they stole signs or like you know i mean there's there's still seven games that are going on in most of these things that happen and yeah it's in baseball it's a big thing because you can you're telling you're telling the pitcher know what what pitch is coming. It's a big advantage, and I get it. But there's other things that happen, and the player still has to hit it, and you, you know you still have to make other plays. <laughs> I guess what we're saying here for Vermont is cheat away because it doesn't matter that much. Yeah, cheat away because the the cost is is worth, worth it. Worth it. To change. <laughs> All right, let's get into the questions because we had a few and we're running a bit long here. Uh, Joseph asked us this question after the last show, uh, and I want to bring it up here because it's a really interesting question. It, Never, never really crossed my mind. Uh, he said, Troy Terry is a right shot pass first player. He's a possession monster. It's hard to get him off the puck, and we all know he can win battles despite the lack of size and experience. So the question he has is, could the Ducks pull a card from the Minnesota Wild playbook with Brent Burns and make Troy Terry a defenseman? Obviously, he won't be a stay-at-home, but what would be wrong with him holding the point on a 1-3-1 power play? I cannot see him be a defenseman on five on five. Uh, that that makes uh, it's it's too tough for me to see that happen uh, because he's got almost. I mean, maybe he gets bigger. Brett Burns is big. Uh, they you know did this with Dustin Bufflin as well. I mean, he was a winger and then uh, went back on defense. Uh, but right. those we're talking boys. modern. We're talking modern NHL now, right? Where where guys like Kale McCarr, but he's even. Are- even thinner and lighter than that i don't think if he's asked to defend can he defend yeah. does he know how to defend does he know where yeah, i he mean needs yeah to that's move? the thing right like all these and i think with these guys like the difference between bufflin and brent burns is i believe they had played d at some point and they were those guys they're not who, bad defensemen <laughs> they're no, good they defensemen were guys with who, an offensive flair i think they were guys who were on d and were moved up to right wing and then got put back to d that's if i remember correctly i think burns and Bufflin were drafted as defensemen, 
their teams moved them up onto the wing because the NHL went through this period where they started moving like offensive defensemen up to the wing to see if that would that would help. And then ultimately they got moved back to defense. I don't think you really ever see the transition from winger to defenseman. It almost usually is the opposite way around where you get defenseman to winger. We, we're seeing it with Brendan Smith this year uh, with the Rangers who moved up from defense to play uh, fourth line left wing. Brandon Montour has played forward a bit with the Sabres this year. I believe there's another defenseman. Uh, I can't remember the team, but that there's also, I think it's uh, Pistrick with the Buffalo Sabres who's also moved up and, and played, uh, has played on the wing. So uh, you can see it. And, and, you know, in, in terms of size, like Kale McCarr is 5'11", 187. Terry's six foot one eighty. Like there's no, I don't think size is the issue. I just think this is a guy who's probably played wing his entire career and then trying to move him to defense. Like, like you said, can hey, he learn, play defense? learn defense? You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not that easy. Defensemen already take a little bit longer usually to, to mature and figure out the position because you have to learn so many intricacies of that. Now, Troy Terry may be able to hold the puck when he's, you know, entering the offensive zone and keep it away from defenders, but he's also making defenders kind of chase him and trying to find soft areas when he's a defenseman. That's that's not what he's doing. He's going to have to try and move move forward. Yeah, he might be able to make a, a move, but I, I just see the other side of it is like, well, now now what happens the other half of the time for the Ducks when or more than half of the time where he's back there defending, he's spinning around. I guess yeah. like Cam Fowler does sometimes. Well, if you've never done it like the that that type of switch from D from forward to D is way different from D to forward. It's too tough. Like everything like that goes and and honestly, like a lot of guys who play D, you ask them. Back in junior or in midget or whatever, they played forward. Like, yeah, everyone, they everyone forward wants they to score moved. goals at one yeah. point. No one goes like, "Hey, I just want to hang back here for a while." Everybody just usually starts hit. out as a forward, and yeah. then they get moved back to defense, and, and for whatever reason. And listen, I like the idea. I like the creativity to think that way. And I'm yeah. not saying it would never work. I, I don't think I because of his size it wouldn't yeah. work. It, it would all be it would all depend on Troy Terry if he's ever played defense before. If he could make the positioning and and make that change, um, I, I just I, I don't think it's an option. I, I don't remember the last time I've saw a player I'll, go from forward to D. I don't think I've ever seen that that type of transition. Uh, I, what I do like about just question you know his question posed is i I don't necessarily hate him maybe running the point i wouldn't do it on the top line however um the one problem i do have is that i don't really trust his ability to make those passes under pressure so if he's up at the point and he's the last guy back I can see mistakes happening, bobbles happening, and it's the going the other way. And, um, you know, as young as he is, he's, he's still not like, you know, the super speedy guy to try and catch up to everything. I just, I feel like maybe under that pressure, I, I'd have to see him do it. But um, I can't you know, see it even on the power play like that. Like I, I, I would be more apt to say I could see him being a five on five defenseman than working on a one three one power play at the point. I mean, he has the the he has the playmaking ability for sure. I just think he's more suited to be that behind the net or from the circles passer than he because is. Because it doesn't have a he doesn't over, have an overpowering slap shot, so he's not really a threat. Or even a hard wrist shot. shot. Yeah. 
So, I mean, yeah, he, he kind of picks his spots. Uh, but, yeah, he's more of that playmaker that's going to try and find somebody else or, you know, hopefully he's open and can, you know, quick release. He's got a quick release. But you you can have a quick release, but if you're that far away from the goalie, you know, it's going to be a C&I shot to get through. And literally you can kind of put anyone there and hope to get a C&I shot. So if there's no other talent back there then it's 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 a little rough i, I was just and trying to find some way it might work for yeah and we, to be we've defense. seen him on the right circle and i think he's worked best there um and, and and you know just to even get down more into like the nitty-gritty of why i don't think it works like i don't think his lateral skating is good enough to also work like that's a huge part of manning a one three one power play in the blue line you've got to be able to skate that blue line laterally so cleanly to be able to make those passes and get the passes off on your forehand or back end like you are the quarterback in that play like we talk about power play quarterbacks in, in like a in a two two one type formation or two one two type form- formation and it's a bit different than being in that one three one because you're the guy you're the only guy back there. Yeah. every pass that goes back to the blue line goes to you you've got to skate across that blue line kind of uh, be like a, a roaming guy in the center of that ice and and everything really f- facilitates from you you know guys we've seen it do well this year and other teams like Rasmus Dalin and Kale McCarr and like these are elite elite guys that usually get this done and I'd be more apt to say that, you know, Hampus Lindholm or, or Cam Fowler would be a guy you would want to try there or use more often than, than throwing Trey Terry up there. Maybe you'd take a flyer and you see how it works, but like I, I don't see it. I, I, I would maybe wait on it. I, I'd have to see more from Terry and his development before I'm willing to put him back there. Definitely not this season. And unless something drastically changes, I really wouldn't see it next season either. All right, let's get into the last uh, couple questions. I know uh, we've kind of got a hard out soon here that we got to get to, but uh, we actually had some questions come in uh, on uh, on Twitter. So Kent said, uh, how, how stupid is Vegas? Talk about an overreaction. First time the franchise isn't living in a fairy tale and they fire the coach. Quick thoughts, uh, dumb decision, I think, uh, personally, on uh, firing him. Two points out of the top of the Pacific Division. Yeah, I, I have no idea. And the reasoning behind it was uh, what I had a feeling it wasn't a good fit. His team had a Cinderella story, almost wins the Stanley Cup as an expansion team. Insanity. My opinion, robbed the very next uh, uh, playoffs. Yep. Uh, and they I think they should have gone much further in that one. And, that then, uh, and then, yeah, and then <laughs> a little bit of a, a bump in the road uh, with the you know new personnel trying to bring in some players and trying to make it mesh and work. And you're you're still in a good spot to make a playoff run. Uh, Flurry's been down and out for quite some time too, you know, in and out of the lineup and uh, they struggled on defense a little bit. But uh, they've, they've been moving in and out so many people here and there. Your Tatars come in, and then they're gone. And then you, you bring in, uh, you know, they've gotten Stone, but they add in a Pacioretty. You know, it's just different pieces trying to make it all work and to fire the coach over uh, just a little bump where they're not the top echelon team. It's just, it blows me away. I mean, cal- yeah. calm down. It takes teams usually a, a very long time after they get their first Even get to, to that finally point. fire them. I yeah. mean, it, it, Barry Trotz was forever, and that team barely did anything. I mean, even the Ducks, it wasn't until for, for a while until after, you know, Ron Wilson. We were god-awful horrible forever <laughs> until, yeah. you know, then. And then, we, you know, we fired him. So you got time. You don't have to fire him. And then to fire him for the coach that's doing worse or was doing, doing worse, worse on the worst yeah. team in your division. Not, it's like, was this guy's got the answers. fired this year or no? Was yeah, was he it not? John? He was, on he was fired by – 
Yeah, you get fired okay. by San Jose for them doing bad, and then you bring him in. Like I, I don't, I don't get it. They're twenty four nineteen and six. They're two points out of or three points out from where Arizona is in the top of the standings with no games, like same amount of games played. Like, yeah, maybe they're they're underperforming in the sense we thought they'd be higher, but they're literally, like I said, they're four points away from being second in the Western Conference. That's how wide open the West is this year. Like, they have the talent to make the playoffs. They probably still would have made the playoffs. Like, what advantage are you getting of Pete DeBoer, who's proven nothing in the playoffs, when you have a coach who took you to the Stanley Cup Finals in your first year, and like you said, got kind of robbed with some calls that led San to Jose. being exited out by San Jose. And I, like, I'm pretty sure Gerard Gallant called, like, threw some names at, at Pete DeBoer in that playoff series. And you're bringing in, you know, I know Ryan Reeves and Pete DeBoer were chirping in the playoffs too. Like, that's the weirdest fire and hire I've seen in a long time. Uh, I'm sure they had a cab waiting for for Gerard Gallant. We didn't know, get the picture. Yet, poor we'll dude, he gets he gets fired the weirdest ways, man. Yeah. I don't get it. All right, poor guy. Uh, quick quick other questions we had. We talked about this, but uh, Victor asked uh, if Gibson was retraded, what could he be traded for? Uh, Carolina has mentioned needing a goalie. Would the Ducks possibly get uh, Kachikov in return, who's a goalie the the Hurricanes drafted in the second round last year? Uh, we we talked about this a bit uh, in terms of getting that goaltender return. Bob Murray, I don't think, would ever bank on a Russian goaltender in the KHL. <laughs> no idea when he's going to come over. Probably wouldn't come over until he's about 23, 24 like they all do. So uh, I would say that's a no. Um, if he was to be traded, I think Carolina is definitely a destination, and it would have to be a top prospect in a first-round pick if, to be even considered in discussion. It, it... I would think it. Yeah, it'd have to be even higher. I, I don't even care who their their prospect is. It's the one down here for a guy who's like third. Yeah, and and I wouldn't I wouldn't call it much of a, a down year. I think if this team was anywhere competitive or they had enough of the players and you know, we're banking on young players, that his numbers are a little bit higher. This defense has been atrocious, and I just I can't see selling stock on it. So I don't really see anything that Carolina would give us unless they said, here's our first, here's another first, here's that prospect, here's this other top prospect. I mean, unless they are just getting yeah. rid of the farm to, to grab them. That's the only way I can see it, and I just don't even see it working out in any way. I can't really. see it. Um, Adam asked if the Ducks don't land the top draft pick, so getting Alexis Lafreniere, I would say also Quentin Byfield, who should they take? Um, the next question. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I, I, I'll rephrase it so you can answer it too. I, I think they should take uh, Alex Holtz. Uh, I think they the best pure goal scorer. We just talked to Scott Wheeler in an interview too, and he also reiterated that Alex Holtz is probably the best pure goal scorer of this draft. I think uh, you know that is maybe not the number one need for the Ducks, but definitely the number two need for the Ducks, especially when you have, as Corey Pronman ranked him uh, just earlier today, the number one prospect of all NHL teams right now is Trevor Zegras, and he is the best player, best creative player, best playmaker outside the NHL, in, in Corey Pronman's words right now. Getting a pure goal scorer to go along with that, I think, I think is ideal. And I think you can get a right shot defenseman, maybe not like Jamie Drysdale, but potentially like Jamie Drysdale in, in next year's draft if the Ducks aren't good or or somewhere else down the road or bank on one in, a, in with a, another late first or a second round pick if the Ducks can pick any other picks up here. But um, to rephrase this question from you, if the Ducks don't land the top draft pick, do you think they should take a forward or do you think they should take a defenseman? forward 
Um, and like you said, with Zigris coming up and being it really impressed me watching the whole World Juniors. So, um, and, but he, he would need somebody that's going to finish that. And then if that can create offense, our defense doesn't necessarily have to be so perfect. Yep. And so we're not going to screw up. And then all of a sudden we're running into our goalie and we're no one's picking up the puck in our feet. You know, that that. Uh, angst is a little bit gone and I think uh, you can make mistakes because you got somebody that's going to put in the, the puck in the net we have not had lethal goal scoring since the days of Corey Perry <laughs> I mean it's just it's been that long it feels yeah. like so. it, it definitely has um, quick round of questions from Instagram uh, just a yes no question here any chance the NHL allows Anaheim to get the number one pick that's from Maverick uh, or Batman he put Batman in quotation marks uh, I don't subscribe to that theory that yeah. the that the draft lottery is rigged uh, I know everybody who hates the Oilers and thinks that Canadian teams get get the uh, the benefit of the doubt here original uh, six, or yeah. or original six you know like any team could win it and as long as it's not uh, like you know a bottom feeder small market team there will be an argument made new jersey won it people are like oh they want new jersey to be good again like there's no way the nhl of batman wanted the new jersey <laughs> devils to win two first round picks like yeah. nobody wants to go to new jersey like they are yes a historic franchise from the broder era but like nobody wanted the nhl definitely would not want them to go to new jersey over the rangers or over you know, the Leafs or the Canadians. And you know if Alexi Lafreniere goes to the Montreal Canadiens with a draft in Montreal this year, that will just fuel that theory like crazy. (laughs) Um, Anyway, next question. Will Deloria be around next year? I hope so. I I think no, but Uh I, I wouldn't rule it out. I think... Bob Murray likes him, and I think Dallas Aikens likes him as a player because he continues to play him. Uh, clearly, they like having that guy in the lineup. I think there's a place for guys like that. I just think they need to be more than just that guy. Um, you know, you look at uh, like Zach Cassian in the news right now. Yes, he's playing with Connor McDavid, but he does more than just be a physical guy who can fight. He's got 13 goals on the season. Like I think if you're going to have a guy like that, you need him to do more. Yeah, well, once again, he's, he's – I, I beg the different – or like I'd want to know, well, how many of those were on a line with either McJesus or uh, Dreisaitl? And if it's an abundant amount of goals, like it's 10 out of 13, then I think we know where that goal scoring is happening. Delorier is a fourth-line guy. He's going to provide energy. He keeps – you know, it's going to sound cliche. Uh, but once again, you know, he's going to keep other teams honest and – we don't want Getzloff fighting. Uh, we don't want that happening. Uh, Nick Ricci, we don't want defensemen fighting. Delorier will fight. He leads the league in fighting. It gives us at least a little bit of, uh, you know, an edge to us. But when I watch him play, he's hustling. He's working. He's doing everything you'd want a fourth-line player to be. No, he's not going to be a third, second, or first line and put up an amazing amount of goals. But he's going to do a fourth-line role, and he does it really well. So he's doing exactly what I would want a fourth-line guy to do. Take him out, put somebody else in who might have a little bit more offensive talent, but maybe not the drive, the size, or the tenacity, uh, or the, the physical aspect to it. And I think the Ducks would become a lesser team for it. So unless you find someone you that can, can match it and – yeah. That's what I was going to say. If you can find a guy who can do both, then sure. But I I think they're they're 
is a still sort of a place for what Delorey brings. I don't think he's just a fighter. I don't think, like said, I don't think he I, brings the ducks down. That's no, I, I think he, like you said, I think he's hustled, and I think he's been a competitor, and and, I, and you know he's not an offensive guy, but I think, I think what you know he brings to the game is not a detriment to the Ducks. It's not like he's you know turning over the puck every every second he gets it. Like he is still playing decent, and that's all you can expect from that guy. I mean, if he's going to do that and they want to bring that back next year, I'm not going to hate it. Uh, obviously, if it's more than a one year deal, then maybe I'll be a little bit more skeptical of it. But I, I think you'd have to weigh it up with who's available. Um, come the time we make that decision in free agency. Uh, last question from Shredden. He said, out of the kids, come to Terry, Lindstrom and Jones, include Steele in that too. Which one would be the best as a trade piece? Priorities. I don't know. Uh, definitely not Jones. For me, it's uh, Sam. Sam Steele. Um, Troy Terry's name, I think, carries a lot of weight. Um, even though his production hasn't necessarily done it. Um, but that's also – um, Sam Steele's a bigger piece for the Ducks moving forward than I think Troy Terry would be. And I think Troy Terry, given the right circumstance, the right area, could probably do a little bit better on another team. So I would think they'd maybe want to see someone like him. But, Sam, I mean, Sam Steele's a good center, young center. I think, center I think you just mean it's like who would who'd have the most value as a trade piece. I think they're all – I think they're pretty close between Terry and Sam Steele. You could edge it one way or the other just depending on – what teams are looking for? That's what I think. I, guess I think I'm centers, like centers, for me, it's like they're all teams are always looking for centers, guys who can do what Sam Steele does with the off the the, the offensive ability he has, and the fact that he's turned into such a good two way player. Uh, he's at the top of that list for me. I think then I'm tied with Comtois Lindstrom right after that Comtois just because he's the younger player and he's actually produced at a better rate than Terry and Jones have. Lindstrom also again being the center. Uh, and then I got Terry, uh, Terry and Jones right there. I've actually got them tied because I think, yeah, Terry's the the more offensive guy, and I think he he has better ability when it comes to that. But teams are always looking for a guy like Max Jones, a guy who who has that ability, but man, he plays with an edge and he has speed and and he he has that proven ability. He can score goals. Like teams will always look for guys. Think like of a, a Matthew Kachuk light. Not, not, yeah. not quite as big of an no Pat here to to cut us off and and yeah. and uh, kind of cut us down to an hour, which is which is fine. I mean, we'll have Pat hopefully on the next show. Uh, next regular show, I believe, is scheduled for January nineteenth, oh, yeah. which right. is Sunday. I think I don't know. January nineteenth. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, this Sunday, Sunday. right? So that's the next regular show. Uh, we've got the rant show for all of our Patreon members scheduled for January 22nd, uh, which I believe is a Wednesday or Tuesday. Uh, either way, January 22nd. Uh, Pucks and Brews, again, for our Patreon members, is scheduled for January 28th at yes. this point. And then the next regular show um, after the 19th, because the Ducks have their five to seven day break, there is scheduled for the end of January, January 30th. So there is like an 11 day gap in between there. We're hoping to have an interview, at least one, maybe two to kind of roll out 
over that period so you guys aren't completely devoid of content but like i said if you are looking for extra content and you do want to support the show in that period of obviously in that gap period but for further on both past that we do have our patreon where we do post two bonus episodes a month like i said the rant show and the pucks and brews show so if you are looking for extra content over that period and further beyond that make sure you check us out at uh, patreon.com slash puck guys forever mighty uh any anything else you want to throw in there Jay? just one last thing yeah we just uh confirmed that we're going to be at a, a watch party that will be in um anaheim uh, hills uh, it's uh, off of Santa Ana Canyon, and uh, it's going to be uh, pepperonis or peps, pepperoni pizza place. Uh, it's a new venue for us, but I've uh, met with the owner before. Uh, real nice guy. We're going to get a nice little setup and also going to get happy hour pricing on everything. So this will be a, a, a much uh, less expensive outing. But it's going to be for Saturday, February 1st, Ducks versus Kings. It's a 7.30 game. So we'd love to have everyone come out. We already seem like we're going to get uh, 30, 35 already. And the more, the merrier. Uh, just come on out, and uh, it's always a good time. Hang out, meet uh, me and Pat. Ed won't be there unless Pat feels like flying him out again. And <laughs> other than that, we always have a great time meeting everybody. It'll buy you a beer every now and again. So <laughs> come on out, meet everybody else who's a Ducks fan, a forever mighty fan, and uh, enjoy the game. Watch the two yeah. worst Southern California teams. Well, Battle anyways. for Lafreniere. <laughs> yeah, right. And the most important thing, no trains. That's the most important thing. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, that that very, goes on deaf ears for a lot of people. But if you, uh, if I think it was uh, two watch parties ago, the last one I was at, so last year, <laughs> yeah. uh, there was, uh, we were at a venue where yeah. it turned out, yep, uh, it was Ducks vs. Kings. Turned out there was a train that ah. goes right behind the, like literally 10 feet away from the, <laughs> uh, the venue we were at. And it decided yeah. to go for the entire night past what time we thought specifically in overtime <laughs> yep so that uh and yeah. uh i think also the screen we we're watching unfolded up a couple times so hey th- yeah. this one will be better just know that yes it's <laughs> exactly sure. all right well like i said we'll be back on the 19th thanks for coming out guys and uh, we'll see you then bye guys